0: Ready to talk fantasy football? Then you're ready for the Picking Up the Blitz Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your hosts, Mike Randall and Scott Burke. You know, I've had just about enough of the robust RB draft strategies. I'm sick of every draft that I'm doing, running backs flying off the board as if someone is handing out dollar bills in the street and everyone's fighting for them. So, my partner, I am now starting to investigate whether I should go zero RB, load up on wide receivers in every draft we do, including the 12 we'll do together, and pretty much (laughs) commit myself to Lamar Miller, Donta Foreman, and the entire Colts running back group. That's my strategy. What do you think of it? Lamar Miller? You're not a Lamar Miller guy. I mean, that
1: would just be terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the running backs are going. I mean – it seems like, especially in this dynasty draft, every position is going. I feel like it's somebody takes a running back, 15 of them go tight end, then we get 12 more. I, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, I've never been a huge team backfield running back guy. I do like to have that star running back, the one at the bell cow, you know, that Le'Veon Bell type that's going to get the action consistently. But uh, listen, if you can figure out who's going to be the lead guy in Indianapolis, more power to you. If you're going to draft four of them, it's even more power to you.
0: But Scott, maybe that's the move. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's while everyone goes nuts, I'll just grab – Michael Thomas and Julio or Keenan Allen and Antonio Brown, right? And then I'll get a decent third-level wide receiver, probably my guy Amari Cooper, and then I'll just do hashtag team backfield drafting and grab all the running backs that no one's going to want because they've loaded up on RBs in the first two rounds. Maybe that's the solution, no? Zig what everybody's eggs I mean, you could do that. I mean, you, you nearly won a Dynasty
1: League with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback, so listen, anything is <laughs> possible. Um... Uh... <laughs> You know, you can definitely go that route. Do I think it's going to be the epitome of success for you? Probably not. But listen, if you're good with Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas, and then Bicep Bob and Jordan Wilkins, <laughs> by all means,
0: make it happen, Kevin. But I'm going to pass on that boat. I don't know if I can do that because I I would then be passing on my guy, Melvin Gordon. Folks, picking up the Blitz podcast is here. Scott Burke is with me at SCOT557 on Twitter. I'm Randall Rant. You can follow the show at PUTBlitz. We're very excited. Four quarters. Great stuff. Let's get right into it. There's the whistle. News and notes partner. Coach Mike McCarthy said the Packers will have a running back by committee. In other news, sun rises and east, sets in west. He said, quote, we feel like we got three guys that have all done that have all done a decent job, but they haven't done it for a long period of time. So I think it's just practical thinking from that position. He did leave open the possibility of one player emerging, but it sounds right now like Jamal Williams, Ty Montgomery, and Aaron Jones will all have a role. Look into your crystal ball, which is really the theme of the show today. Tell me what we got here, Scott. I mean, so this is kind of what you were just talking about,
1: you know, running back by committee, team backfield drafting. So basically it's saying we don't have a clear – a option at running back, so let's just throw a bunch of B-minus running backs at you and hope we can come up with an A type of plan. Listen, it, it, you know, Ty Montgomery has shown glimpses that he can play that position. He's got an injury history, though. Can he stay healthy? Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, short period of time. Jamal Williams did it for one game. Everything else was not, not for me, not for you. And Aaron Jones, I think, probably has the most upside in this te- in this quote-unquote team backfield RBC For me, it's one of those tough situations. If I'm looking at this, I'm going to just pick one of these guys and take my chances and run with it. And for me, the guy would be Aaron Jones.
0: Andrew Luck said the pain in his surgically repaired shoulder is gone. He threw a football in front of reporters yesterday, which was about the size of the football on my son who's three throws, and it seems more confident than ever about his health. Are you confident about his health,
1: partner? Maybe it was a weighted football, so maybe it was only three inches in size, but maybe there's ah, a little something in it. You never know. Ah, okay, Look, okay. It's, good to, it's good to see him throwing a football. It's good to hear that the pain is gone. You know, We're here in mid-June, so that's a great sign for Colts fans and fantasy owners of Andrew Luck. It's only positive, you know. It's it's about time we get a little bit of positive in this camp for here for him, and he can take that next step. Am I as confident as he is that he's going to be ready to go week one? Not just yet, but let's see it as he gets closer and closer. You know, it,
0: it it's only good news to hear that that pain is gone, and if that's what he's telling us, I believe it. According to Ben Volen of the Boston Globe. First-round quarterback Baker Mayfield has a long way to go to unseat starter Tyrod Taylor. Mayfield has already surpassed Drew Stanton, so he's number two in the depth chart, but it seems that he's a distant second to Taylor. Hugh Jackson said it made a commitment to him, and he has held up his end of the bargain, and not just the way he works, but the way he plays and the way he leads. My question is, why do we care what a Boston Globe reporter says about the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, not too
1: sure, <laughs> but they, you know, I don't know why we care that Baker Mayfield has passed Drew Stanton. Hugh, Hugh Jackson told me I had a shot to pass Drew Stanton as the backup quarterback.
0: Hey, listen, that was my, one of my quarterbacks in my dynasty yeah, league last year. Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> I mean, that was one unbelievable one-two
1: punch you had. And if only if only for Ben Watson, you'd be in a different place. But oh, anyway, God. listen, I, I don't know. Boston Globe reporter, it's a pretty big newspaper. Maybe he just, you know, quiet times up in Massachusetts. You had to search for something else. Is it relevant right now? No, because I think this is Tyrod Ty Taylor's team for the foreseeable future. Not talking long term, but right now if Cleveland wants to be competitive, I think Tyrod Taylor gives him an opportunity to be competitive. Baker Mayfield, hey, if he's impressing in camp, that's good for you. You're the number one overall pick. We expect you to impress in camp. Don't pull Jamarcus Russell on us. Be there. Get the job done. So listen, it's Tyrod's team for now. Mayfield's number two. That's great. He can put the headset on, hold the clipboard but Tyrod for the time being.
0: According to ESPN's Mike Rodak, Nathan Peterman is a, quote, serious contender for the Bills' starting quarterback job. He impressed while rotating first-team reps with A.J. McCarron. Peterman struggled mildly last year. We laughed about the five uh, interceptions in the Charger game, but he worked with quarterback guru, Scott, Tom House. And so with Josh Allen on board, but he's mostly worked with the third team, are we thinking it's going to be Peterman or McCarron? Uh, Listen, I, I saw enough of Nathan
1: Peterman last year in San Diego. You know, why would you go out and make a trade for a guy like A.J. McCarron, then you draft Josh Allen? It's obviously because you did not have confidence in Nathan Peterman. Am I right? You got rid of Tyrod Taylor. You draft Josh Allen. You give up some picks to go get A.J. McCarron. So what what was the point? You didn't believe in Peterman. All of a sudden, what, we had an epiphany. He's working out, and he's making a commitment, and he's working with people and so forth. I don't buy it.
0: I still think this will be McCarran to start. You may see Allen here sooner than later. According to Aaron Wilson, good reporter for the Houston Chronicle, it remains up in the air whether Deonta Foreman will be ready week one against the Pats. Remember, the 22-year-old was very impressive, had two touchdowns that week, and then they ruptured his Achilles in week 11. He sat at OTAs, but he said the rehab is going really, really well. What does this mean for you? It means Lamar Miller's uh, doing the happy dance. He's uh, got some time. He has a chance to
1: kind of take this job and hopefully do something more with it than he has in the past, you know. I was high on Lamar Miller making this move a couple of years ago from Miami to Houston. I thought it would give him a chance to really shine, be a big part of this offense. He just hasn't given me what I had hoped. He hasn't been terrible, but he really has not put enough, especially fantasy-wise. So with Foreman sitting out, if Foreman's not fully healthy, ready to go, Miller's, you know, saying his prayers and hoping he can move forward and take the job and keep it away from more performing.
0: Monday morning quarterbacks Albert Breer writes that Panthers first round star wide receiver DJ Moore has looked the part this offseason. Remember, he was the first receiver off the board at number 24 in the draft. He's certainly dynamic. He's after the catch guy. He's got a lot of yards after catch. According to Breer's praise, Panthers dot com's Max Henson wrote Moore is more than ready to contribute. Do you like Devin Funches? Do you not like Devin Funches? And if you don't like Devin Funches, could DJ Moore be the top receiver on this team? I like Devin Funches. I don't like him a
1: whole lot. I think Funches has a chance to be productive. You know how I feel about these first year wide receivers. It it takes him a little while to get rolling, unless you're named Odell Beckham and so forth. So or Juju Smith-Schuster for that either. But DJ Moore, listen, how many how many guys have we heard they say, don't look the part? Are you going to come out and say that your your pick does not look the part? He seems overwhelmed. You don't really hear too much of that here in this in the OTAs and the off season. So looks good that he looks the part. He's going to have a chance to make an impact. They're pretty thin at that position in Carolina. So if he's ready to go, he can make an impact. Will he be the automatic number one? Probably not. Could he maybe split 50-50, become a 1-1-8 combo with Funches? Maybe. Maybe Funches has got the first crack at the number one spot.
0: And one more that's not on the show sheet, so I'm going to test my partner here. I just put this out on Twitter. Terrell Owens posted himself running a 4-4 40-yard dash. It was timed by Julio Jones. They showed it live. I'm starting to think, man, that the reason he's not going to the Hall of Fame is because he, expect, he expects to be in practice somewhere And if you ask me what team needs a guy like Owens, even though he's 44, and would really benefit from having this sort of, uh, I don't know, craziness at practice, I'm starting to think he's going to Dallas.
1: Well, look, I mean, if he's really going to come back, look, no one's one's doubting his physical ability. Even at age 44, I know in the sports world, that's considered old, but the guy's in tip-top shape. He can still run. He can still make plays, I'm sure. Who would take the chance? I'm, Jerry Wood. I, I, Jerry I, I, Worldwood. I Jerry Wood. Uh, so could I see that happening? Sure. Is it a terribly far-fetched scenario? Probably not. But I do know one thing that it's caused. It's caused some uneasiness in Atlanta. The Falcons are not too thrilled with Julio and his association with Terrell Owens. so with Julio already sitting out, that could be make a little rocky road in Atlanta for uh, Julio and his team.
0: Could mean stock up for Calvin Ridley or my guy Muhammad Sanu. Oh, get off! In case
1: you didn't forget about Big
0: Muhammad
1: Sanu. Jesus, yeah, I forget that he's one of the he's one of the he's in that Randall Cobb, the Marco Murray uh, group. Muhammad Sanu, he's on that. Always
0: throws that touchdown, partner. He'll throw it against you when we play it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: (laughs) All right, second quarter. Here we go. This is Genie in the bottle. So can we bring in the music? Ah, there it is. Yes, Genie in the bottle. Love the song. What do we got here for Genie in the bottle? Quarter two,
1: Scott. Yeah, I mean, normally when you talk to a genie, you ask three questions. But you know what? We kind of play by our own rules here on this podcast, so we're going to ask six, <laughs> six questions. I'm going to ask the questions to you, Mr. Randall, Mr. Randall Genie. You are the genie in the bottle. I will give you six questions. Looking for fantasy answers. How the impact, what can you tell me as the genie? And we're going to start with number one. How good is the Detroit Lions offensive line, Mr fantasy genie in a bottle and what does it mean for lions running backs
0: if i'm asking the genie for an answer i have to tell you this would be at the top of the list because the lions have a very good offense they always throw the ball a ton and their offensive line has not been great however this year as evan silva put out on twitter they probably have the best offensive line they had in years. Taylor Decker at left tackle. Ragnow as the rookie will move to guard, not center, because they have Graham Glasgow, they have TJ Lang, and Rick Wagner. The reason I'm bringing this up is the goal line RB in Detroit has always been pretty decent. Michael LaShure, Javid Best, yada yada, right? And so whether it's Carryon Johnson or whether it's LeGarrette Blunt. If you can figure out who that running back is going to be on the carpet, in that division, in an explosive offense, with Matt Stafford, I think that that guy has a lot of value. And you know none of these running backs are going early. Early. So if you're a hashtag 0RB guy, I'd love to handicap the Lions running back situation. I'll tell you this. If I had to pick one, I'm not going with Theo Riddick. We've been there, done that. He's had the big seasons, but I... I kind of like Carry On Johnson. The unknown. It's the unknown. He's a rookie. Rookies have done well recently. And can Garrett Blunt really get that many carries? What is he, 31? So I'll take Carry On Johnson right smack dab in the middle of my seasonal draft. Yeah, it's funny. These Detroit Lions
1: running backs, really, there is no love. We're in the 19th round of this uh, ongoing dynasty draft, and Amir Abdullah is still out there. So these,
0: yeah, that's exactly these right. These Lions yep.
1: running backs get zero love, and rightfully so. They've been pretty terrible for the past couple of years. So maybe Johnson can. Add some new life into that Detroit backfield. Question number two, pretty point blank one. Will Aaron Rodgers stay healthy this year, Genie? And if he does, who's the biggest fantasy winner? You know, I'm not a fan of Devontae Adams with his bad quarterback schedule. You love Randall Cobb. Jimmy Graham is 31, 31 years old. And what about Geronimo Allison?
0: You are in my head i was a huge Devonte adams guy i was drafting him in all my early best ball leagues draft.com we have a partnership with them folks put in the code p-u-t b and you get a free three dollar uh, admission into a, a, a best ball tournament but you have given me pause reading off that schedule of who Devonte adams is going to face here's the thing we all believe in aaron Rodgers. we know aaron Rodgers is going to put up a lot of numbers maybe he starts off slow and he sends out the tweet right r-e-l-a-x fine Jimmy Graham's 31, partner. So, I mean, I could see Jimmy Graham getting 8 to 10 touchdowns, right? But I don't see Jimmy Graham getting 80 receptions. I, I don't see that, particularly in a Green Bay offense that never really uses a tight end. The counter to that would say, well, they never had a tight end of Jimmy Graham's quality. Yes, but he's also 31 years old. So I see Jimmy Graham as a big touchdown guy, maybe in a standard league. I don't see him as a PPR guy. But, Scott, here's the problem. You just read off the running backs. Okay, we talked about them. They're all good but not great. You're not a Randall Cobb guy, so who are we taking? I'm starting to think we should take Geronimo Allison. I'm going to take Cobb. You know that. I have an addiction. It's not healthy. I'm trying to get help for it, folks. I like Randall Cobb. But if you don't like Devontae Adams, who is going right now in PPR leagues as the wide receiver seven, Devontae Adams is going ahead of AJ Green and Mike Evans. I just want to let you know that. He's going right after Keen Allen and Michael Thomas. If you don't believe in Aaron Rodgers, which I think everybody does, then you got to figure out who it is. So... If you don't like Adams, I would go with Cobb, and I especially would go with Geronimo Allison because he's basically free. Yeah, I mean, I want to make it clear. I, Devontae Adams
1: is talent. I like Devontae. I just don't like him as a seven overall right now. I think it's too too much too soon. Yes, he's got Rodgers, and there are other options. Geronimo. Seven overall. Oh, my seven. As wide receivers. That's, oh, yeah, I mean, that's oh. just, it's, it's high for me. Geronimo Allison intrigues me a little bit. He does, because, again, it's that unknown. You know, we've seen it. A little bit here, a little bit there. Who knows? Maybe that's the guy that takes the next step. I agree with young Graham. I'm not expecting 65, 70 catches, but I do expect him to be a big-time red zone threat, hence why once every single tight end went in this dynasty league. I just decided I'll take Jimmy Graham. I'll ride him for two, three years, maybe, and Green Bay, and hopefully draft the next Jake Butt or something like that down the road.
0: Jake Butt's good so, going <laughs> rapidly up the draft it, board. Flying, the
1: flying up the board. I took Ed Dixon to go with him too, so my tight ends. Combine, the oldest tight ends in this dynasty league.
0: Does he live in Toms River, New Jersey, in retirement? (laughs) Very possible. But listen,
1: (laughs) he did have a game, what was it, last year? Three three touchdowns or something like that with Carolina. Yeah, that's true. He'll get one of those games. It's really tough. Adams is going to get, obviously, the bulk of the targets. I just think the schedule is going to be tough on him. Cobb could be sneaky. I'm probably with you. I'd probably lean Geronimo Allison and just go with the unknown and take the shots there. I think Aaron Rodgers can make anybody a star. Genie, question number three. Can you solve the New York Giants fantasy player riddle for me? Saquon Barkley is RB6, Odell Beckham is the wide receiver 3, Sterling Shepard's a wide receiver 44, and Evan Ingram is a tight end 6. However, Eli Manning, quarterback
0: 22? Does that make any sense? I don't have any patience for people who are going to try to talk fantasy football with me that say stupid things. And I will characterize for you something stupid. Don't tell me you love Barkley, you love OBJ, you love Shepard as a sleeper, and you love Ingram. And then don't love Manning. It doesn't work that way. So I'd if you don't like Manning, which a lot of people don't, for good reason, regular season, he's very up and down, then tell me which one of these players is not going to do well. In fact, I'll go a step further. Do you really think, Scott, that you can have Saquon Barkley as the RB6, OBJ as the wide receiver 3, and just Evan Ingram as the tight end 6, and Eli Manning still not be good? Even if you tell me Shepard's horrific, those numbers in and of itself support him being a QB1, a strong QB1. So if you love Saquon Barkley, and everybody loves Saquon Barkley, talk about him. Well, everybody except for us. Talk about how great he's going to be. Right now in PPR leagues, Barkley is the running back 6 off the board then you don't like OBJ or you don't like Ingram. Just tell me who you don't like. So you're asking me to solve the riddle. I think OBJ is a safe top six wide receiver this year. I like Sterling Shepard. I think Eli likes Sterling Shepard. I think he way outperforms his wide receiver 44 draft stock. I think Barkley drops and I think Ingram drops. Those are my opinions because Ingram last year was benefited by Brandon Marshall getting hurt and Odell getting hurt and Shepard hurt for a while. That's how he got those numbers. So if you're asking me, Eli's right where he should be. OBJ's good. Shepard is going to outperform his ADP. Barkley's going to be worse, and Ingram's going to be worse. And if you don't say that, then don't tell me everybody's going to be good. I can't take it. If you come up to me and try to talk to me, I'm going to rip you to shreds. Don't tell me they're all good. The first question I'm going to ask you is, who's not going to be good? Then. Yeah,
1: it, it's a good thing we're really early in the podcast season here for us because the agreement that we, the agreement factors we have between each other, it's what's too wrong much, with us? This much. is crazy. But again, we both agree Barkley's overpriced. Beckham. He's gonna be right in the top six. To me, the best value on the board is Shepard. Wide receiver forty four, plenty of room to move forward. Definitely could crack the top thirty, in my opinion. That's just the way I look at it. And Ingram agree, he's gonna take a step back. I like Ingram, he's got talent, but like you said, and I try to tell us to the Giant fans as we are in the East Coast, there's ton around ton around us. Irrational. That, irrational to well, fans. Well Ingram benefited from the injuries of and having a lineup with Roger Lewis and Tavares King. So when Beck when Beckham and Shepard come back, he should take a step back. Now of course not, because when Beckham comes back, he's going to draw the double team, and then they're going to have to cover Shepard in the slot, so it's going to leave Ingram wide open. Guys, Eli Manning is 30, 35, 36 years old. Yeah, he's not throwing 70 balls a game here, and if Beckham's going to get you 14 targets a game and you want to hand Saquon, you want to get Saquon Barkley 30 touches a game, like everybody's saying, oh, 200 carries, 100 receptions. Guys, someone's going to take a step back, and it's going to be Mr. Tight End in the, in the tight end six. And it's going to be the running back, and I think Beckham and Shepard are the ones that benefit the most. It's it's common sense. All four of these guys sense. are not going to be tops at their position. I mean, I know Shepard's not going tops, but he's the guy that's got the most value from
0: a fantasy standpoint. And I'll tell you this, if Saquon Barkley is going to get the ball as much as we think it is, don't underestimate the Diva wide receivers. You know how they are. So Beckham's going to start bitching and moaning that he doesn't get the ball. If that happens, Ingram and Shepard are going to suffer. Listen, I don't mind if you want to handicap the Giants, folks. Just give it to me realistic. Scott, I'm going to give you 3 now for your genie. Ready? Talk to me in the genie in the bottle and tell me which quarterback above the age of 35 is most likely to regress to the point of irrelevance. A lot of them are old. We love the old quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, Rivers. Who do you who do you think is going to regress quickly?
1: Let's switch it to mid thirties, um, and we talked about it a little bit. Alex Smith is a guy that can regress. The other guys in this Absolutely. other guys yep. in this category are going to be what? Joe Flacco, Roethlisberger, the aforementioned Eli Manning, who could be a, a regression candidate. He's not, you know, a week in win out week out fantasy player. He is Eli is a perfect matchup dependent streaming option, which you can get him for. He'll give you one or two good weeks in a row when you're looking at quarterbacks on a buy. But I think Alex Smith, moving from that safe system he was in Kansas City, now going to kind of branch out and go back, go into Washington, where I expect it to be a little bit different, more of an open system, and he could get exposed more in a Washington system. So well, he's 34, so that's why I'm going to switch it from 35 to mid-30s. So Alex Smith will be a prime candidate. I think Joe Flacco you can put in there as well. He's going to have a lot of pressure in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson right behind him. Flacco really needs a. Big-time start after a terrible season last year. So he's going to need to really step it up. And maybe last year what we saw was the beginning of his regression, and he becomes really irrelevant. So Alex Smith, maybe an Eli, Joe Flacco.
0: Yeah, the Alex Smith one is a great one. If you look at his stats, explain this to me. For his entire career through his 20s, 25, 27, 28, 30s, then he was always a managed the game quarterback. He had 3,000 yards four times there, five times. He usually had 17, 13, 18, 20, 23 touchdowns. So he was always around the high teens. All of a sudden, last year, he finally breaks 4,000 yards for the first time and barely, by the way, 26 touchdowns, only five interceptions. Now he's never been a high interception guy, but as far as his rushing yards as well, this is a guy who does rush for a little bit, but he's rushing less and less as he's getting older. So, I am befuddled beyond belief, and if you look at his rushing yards the last few years, he had 498 in 2015, which was a lot, then only 134 in 2016, 355. So if you're banking on Alex Smith finally blooming – Like a flower in the pot on your front lawn at the age of 33, I think you're completely lost. I think he had a career year, Scott. I think this was his big year. I think Kansas City cut ties at the right time. They're going to go to Mahomes. They sold him high. And I don't know. Andy Reid's a pretty darn good offensive coach. I don't know if he can totally recreate that with Jay Gruden. I don't like it at all. I'm with you. I would not buy Alex Smith where he's going right now. Where is he right now? Gosh, I think right now he's QB what? Is he QB 11? I'm sorry. He's a little higher. He's like QB 18. Okay? So I get it. He's late in the game. But if I told you Alex Smith bonked this year, would you be shocked? No, absolutely not. Moving on. Next one. Oh, Jeannie, tell me, tell me, my friend. We t- first talked about Alex Smith, and now I want to know, can you figure out the Patriot and the Seahawk running back situations? would be amazing if you could. Are you investing in them? Are you investing in them if the draft goes a certain way? Or are you avoiding all the Patriots and Seahawks? Personally, if I'm the genie and I'm answering this question, I'm avoiding
1: most of them. But if I were to try to break this down as a genie, I would lean as Sony Michelle is going to get some carries out of the gate. I believe the goal line situation carries are going to go to the guy you love and you're targeting in every league known to man. Rex Burkhead, and then you're going to draft every other Patriot running back to go with him. <laughs> I, I am. know Rex I Burkhead's am. at the top, and I would put the most likely candidates to really have success in New England's Michelle Burkhead, and then put James White in the third spot. Gillisley, Je- Jeremy Hill are going to be those guys off the bench when Sony Michelle fumbles, and then one of them will get the next crack. Going to Seattle, I don't know. Maybe I'm a sucker. You know I hate the situation, but I'm kind of I'm kind of in on the Chris Carson bandwagon here. The train, I liked what we saw last year in the short glimpse that we did. Everything you read is that he's just he's been explosive. He's glowing. They love what he's doing with the first team offense in Seattle. He's been unbelievable in these OTAs and, and just nothing but high praise for him. Rashad Penny was drafted with the purpose of being the, the number one back there. At some point, may not happen right away. But, I mean, that's really what you're looking at there is it's Carson, it's Penny. I'm sure there will be some guys getting cut out of there. pro size, might even get chopped on, you know, in Seattle. So Chris Carson would be the guy I targeted, and I did target him and took him in the Dynasty League. So that's a guy I'm going to roll with. Penny was taken extremely early. got Carson around 17, so why not? He's young. Who knows? Is there a lock that Penny takes his job? I don't think so. So if I had to figure out the Patriot backfield, it's Burkhead, Michelle White in that order.
0: Carson Penny in Seattle. I'm with you on Seattle. I think it's a tough one. I, I don't think Pete Carroll, what he says matters. I think he's shown no consistency in what he says. I'm going to go with New England. You called it right. I will, full disclosure, I am going to say exactly what you think I'm going to say. The reason is. Bill Belichick trusts the guys who are veterans, like Garrett Blunt, he brought him back, right? And he trusts the guys who hold on to the football. Sony Michel has had fumbling problems in college at Georgia. Sony Michel already fumbled, I believe, in the voluntary workouts. I Just remember, Deion Lewis was not the man last year. Dion Lewis was nothing until Gillisley was terrible and then Burkhead got hurt. This was a guy who had one touchdown through the first five weeks of the season and two touchdowns through the first seven weeks of the season. And then all of a sudden, people get hurt. He has 113 total yards against Miami in week 12. And now we're talking about how great he is because he has five touchdowns over the last three weeks. He's a satellite back. Deion Lewis was 5'7", 193. He was also injury prone. I am not banking on Sony Michelle getting the heavy workload. I am positive Sony Michelle is not getting the goal line carries. If you're Bill Belichick and Scott, you watch just as much football, not more than me, have you ever seen him giving the ball to a rookie running back repeatedly at the goal line like Sony Michel? He's going to give it to Burkhead. If Burkhead gets hurt, maybe he'll try Michel. But I think he would probably even give it to James White and they would go with like a spread offense. So yes, I am going to try to handicap. I'm going to try to get Rex Burkhead. It could be a disaster. It may not work out. I'm not buying Sony Michel because he's the most expensive of the running backs. And I also think that James White for PPR leagues is pretty solid. I think he's okay because this is a guy who catch a lot of balls, right? 70, 80 balls, I, I think that's pretty decent. Yeah, no? James
1: White's got extremely sneaky value in late rounds in, the, in this in his offense because I think when a guy like Belichick looks at James White as probably his most reliable, consistent option. He may not be the most talented or the best back. They trust James White. We've seen it. In the Seventy-two Super Bowl.
0: targets last year, Scott. That's no, that's ninth among running backs. And, and you can't
1: forget what he did against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was the go-to guy. They trusted him with everything they had And when the game and went 2016,
0: on. The line, 2016, 86 targets. That was third among running yeah.
1: backs. So I mean, and there's no reason for that to drop. I mean, there's really – He's only twenty-six years that, old. Did you realize I did, that? I, I realize did. That I know mean, he's still yeah. young. It feels like he's been around for a long time, but that's a value play right there. Is James White? You want to take your chances on Burkhead? Go for it. You want to take your chances on Michelle? You can too. James White could have that real, real sneaky late-round value. And I'm sure there's some people looking at him and targeting him because there's always question marks in that backfield. But White has been that consistent piece. You know, may not be lighting it up all the time, but the consistent piece for the Patriots.
0: And the last one, we're going to get into Sean Watson on the fourth quarter. He did a great article on it. But I will ask you, Fantasy Football Genie, What rookie quarterback has the best chance to come on and make the impact that Deshaun Watson did last year? What would you go with?
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of put this out when when he was first drafted, um, you know, Twitter and so forth. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore is is, is going to and I just you know hinted at it a few minutes ago he's going to put the pressure on Joe Flacco quickly. You know the Ravens kind of a bit of a changing in the guard in the offense, a lot of pieces going out, new pieces coming in. They're trying to build with the, new, with the running back and Alex Collins who they got last year now to see if they can build a foundation around him and Dixon and Allen and so forth. Flacco's getting up there in age. He's got a Super Bowl win, but he was really bad last year. I mean, we we can remember a couple of games, one specifically in London where they they, they just looked, you know, really really bad and it was non competitive and Flacco seemed to have lost a bit of a step. You know, all reports that you see are saying that, you know, the, the 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 draft pick of Lamar Jackson has lit a fire under Flacco. I hope it has. Because he's probably playing for his job. I'm not going to say, you know, three, four weeks in he's going to lose his job, but if you know you're six, seven weeks in and the Ravens are sitting at one and four or one and five and Flacco's got more interception than he does touchdowns, in that division where you know the Steelers are going to be good, the Browns are Coming up, they're going to be tougher to play against, and the Bengals are still, despite you know being dysfunctional, still will throw a, tough, a couple of tough games at you. So it's a hard division to be in. You don't want to be one in five, and if you are, I could easily see Harbaugh flipping the script there and just making the change and changing that entire offensive scheme. So the guy who's got the most potential to do it and probably the closest, you know, the fastest door to get there is Lamar Jackson. I think Baker Mayfield will be a while before we see him. Josh Allen, could we see him? Possibly we could see him sooner, but he's not gonna put up Sean Watson type numbers that we saw. So the mobility and the movement that Lamar Jackson can give, he would make would make him the most likely candidate to do it. We may not see it at all, but if it was gonna be somebody, probably Lamar Jackson.
0: Yeah, I think he has a chance if he comes in they can't figure him out. Uh, we talked to – yeah, Terrell Pryor came on the scene, right? People couldn't figure out who he was and he ended up doing nothing the year after. So they have the coaching staff. They want to help him, man. I think it could be. Flacco is on very thin ice right there. They gave him the big contract. He banked on himself. Congratulations. Won a Super Bowl. That's fantastic. But Lamar Jackson is like that shiny toy that's it, – it's waiting for Christmas, man, and they want to open it up. And you up. know he's
1: motivated. He waited all night to get drafted that night. So you know Jackson is ready to go. He's going to give you everything he's
0: got. 100%. Now we're moving to the third quarter very interesting warren sharp and evan silva work together and they produce every single year a sort of combination strength of schedule analyzation when you hear strength of schedule guys what you will hear is people looking at the win loss percentages from last year and then telling you how exactly they're going to be this year oh well they're playing teams that were really really good What I can recommend is follow Warren Sharp on Twitter and then go to his site, which is Sharp Football Analysis. Last year, when I go on the beach, my wife knows I get this book and I love it. 2017 last year was the football preview. His is coming out this year, 2018. He goes through an incredible strength of schedule, and it's driven by data. It's not just data. It's talking about players that have come in, coaching changes. It talks about everything, and it's really incredible. Last year, he identified, Scott, that the easiest schedule in the entire league was Jacksonville. And if you had followed that and listened to what he wrote, you could have made a good chunk of change. He also said that Minnesota had the seventh easiest schedule. What I'm saying is what he says and all the methods that he puts into it, it's not lazy, it's not inaccurate. He gives it to you with everything factored in, the players, the scheme, the draft picks, everything. With that in mind, I want to read you the top five toughest schedules and then get your reaction, teams, and then the top five easiest schedules and get your reactions. So let's start. According to Warren Sharp and Evan Silva work together, toughest schedules this year, the hardest schedule in the the NFL will be Arizona. The next will be Tampa Bay, which I think is very interesting then Seattle, then the Giants, and Kansas City. So he thinks those are going to be very, very difficult. We'll go one by one here, and I just want to get your reaction. So when he's talking about Arizona, we have some change over there. And his argument is that their home road splits are going to be incredible. They play just one top 10 opponent at home, which is the Rams, and five top 10 opponents, according to his metrics, on the road. The back half of Arizona's schedule has four top 10 opponents in a five-week span, and they're the only team on this list that will not face a bottom five opponent this year. So he feels that they have a very strong schedule. They have a particularly tough schedule of pass rush defenses to start the year with a questionable offensive line, Sam Bradford, who's always injured, and a rookie in Josh Rosen. Scott, what do you think of Arizona?
1: Nails this on the head here. I mean, you look at this schedule that they have a lot of games early early in the season at home winnable games you get the bears at home you get you know you, you get the broncos at home situations you can look at but then you get these tough road games you got to go to Kansas City in November which we know Kansas City is a tough place to play and then that second half of the schedule like you said at the rams you got at the rams towards the end of the year you get at the falcons at the seahawks at the packers and then you get you know home raiders so, it, yeah, Home Lions, this is a tough schedule. Uh, and it makes total sense the rationale he's using. He's getting all, you know, not just the typical okay, win loss record, let's break it down, make this easy. It is home road splits, and there are some tough matchups late in the season. You know, at Atlanta's tough. I mean, it's a tough place to play, especially if you're gonna most likely have a rookie quarterback cause you know Sam Bradford's gonna get hurt, right? So at that point in time in December, you're probably looking at Josh Rosen going into Atlanta. You got Josh Rosen, Rosen going into Green Bay. I mean, these are tough places to play. And going into the Chargers as well, real tough spot.
0: You know, you go by the division. So if you're in a good division or an easy division, that's going to affect your schedule. 31 and 30, I'll put them together and you can comment on, on them separately. The Bucks have an early bye. They play one of the most difficult schedules in September. They have three top 10 teams. They play the Saints, the Eagles, and the Steelers in consecutive weeks. They got a decent mid midseason slate. And then their last six games, not a single below average opponent. And they also face one of the most difficult pass defenses. So that's going to be tough for a mistake prone Jameis Winston for Tampa Bay. And I think going back to last year, didn't we talk about Tampa Bay's schedule being hard early and it gets better late? And it really never materialized. The other one I want to put in here is Seattle. He identified Warren Sharp, Seattle, as the second easiest schedule last year. I believe that was true. They were 9-7. and Now they go from the second easiest schedule to the third toughest. The defense is no longer what it used to be. They really didn't address the offensive line. It's slightly better. But they start favorably with two bottom five opponents, Bears and Cardinals, in the first month. But three of their first four games are on the road, which is going to be a tough start for them. And they have an early bye week seven, but then they have a brutal week nine to sixteen. Russell's going to be running for his life. What do you think of Tampa and Seattle? Yeah, Tampa. Tampa's got a real tough
1: start out of the gate here, and you, know, you got to go to New Orleans on the road. Then you go, like you said, home home for the Super Bowl champs, and then you get the Steelers on a on an ESPN Monday Night game, and then you go to Chicago, and you have an early bye week. Real tough scenario for Jameis Winston and the Bucks getting out of the gate. You kind of look at their schedule down towards the back half of the season. The last five weeks, you home Niners, which is an improved Niner team. Then you get home Carolina, home Saints. You get three straight home games, two of them in division. And then the other one is an improved 49er team. So it's going to be very tough. And then those fantasy playoff weeks, you got to go at Baltimore. No matter what the Ravens are, that defense is always going to be tough. So Winston's going to have a hard time week 15. And if you make it past that, you go to week 16 at Dallas. So very tough back end and very tough early for Tampa Bay. And you switch to Seattle, you touched about the early part. They have that bye week, week seven, only two home games in the first six, and that's against Dallas and the Rams, tough road games in Arizona, in o- Oakland against the Raiders, and then they open with the Broncos and the Bears. But I'm kind of looking at the last five weeks here. You know, quickly you look at it, it's four home games. You're like, all right, yeah, this makes sense. But it's in division with the Niners, the Viking defense coming in. Then week 15, you go to San Francisco, so you're going to get the Niners twice in three weeks. Week Jimmy sixteen G. the Chiefs Yeah, Jimmy G right <laughs> And week sixteen you're gonna get the Chiefs who defensively have not been the rest, but you're looking at a Sunday night game against the Chiefs in a game that might mean something for both teams possibly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. four home games in Arizona week seventeen, which we know is irrelevant, but you get four home games in the last five weeks, but not really a big advantage, and we know we saw last year Seattle kind of lost that twelfth man at home. Not that the fans gave up on him, but they just didn't that advantage wasn't playing the same same part is there were a lot of shootouts, a couple of losses up there. So really tough scenario for the uh, for Russell and the Seahawks. And even that middle part after the bye week at Detroit, not going to be too easy. The Chargers, Rams, Packers, Panthers. So really, really tough for the Seattle Seahawks. So being number 30 on this list makes a ton of sense.
0: Last two in terms of the fourth and fifth hardest schedules coming up. How about the Giants? No one plays a tougher week to one, ske- uh, week one to week seven schedule, according to Warren Sharp, than the Giants. They face Eagles, Saints, Falcons, and Jaguars in that time, as well as the Panthers and Texans. They have the second most difficult pass defenses in the league. They do have an easier second half of the schedule, which is why he puts them where he does. They have five bottom 10 opponents weeks 8 to 16, but you can't get killed early. And the Kansas City Chiefs, he has as the fifth hardest schedule. They open with the Chargers and Steelers both on the road in week 1 and 2. That is not easy. Then week 5 and 6, they go Jaguars and Patriots back-to-back with a rookie with a quarterback who's going to be making really his first start, right? Right. And then they have a league-high six top-ten opponents. The overall above-average schedule is okay, but the offense really faces some very difficult opponents early, which could shake up Mahomes. You want that rookie to get into a decent start, right? It looks like both the Giants and Chiefs are going to have a tough one.
1: Yeah, when you look at at the Giants, I just got done telling you how the Seahawks last five weeks have four home games. you look at the Giants, they don't have a stretch at all this season where they have back-to-back home games. All right, so it's either home, road, home, road, or they have one set early That's on amazing. Where, where that is
0: absolutely amazing.
1: They open at home against Jacksonville, then you go road, road. In, now, albeit in Texas, you get the, at the Cowboys and then at the Texans, but then every other game rotates home, away, home, away, home, away the rest of the season. So there's not that situation where, you know, like in Seattle, you're home for three weeks in a row. You get the comfort of being there, going to practice from your own house and so forth. It may seem like a little little thing. But really, it's not. You're playing the game at home. You get the, you get the Monday off. You go to work Tuesday, Wednesday, half for Thursday. And you're flying out, and that's your your rotation for the entire year. That could wear on you. I mean, most of these when you look at most of these schedules. Teams do get that at least two games at home in a row. The Giants don't get that one time this year. But if you talk to every Giant fan around. Listen, they have the second pick of the draft this year. They're going to the Super Bowl next year. That's just the way it goes. I mean, that's that's the rationale from Giant fans. Talking about Kansas City, they also. Don't have the luxury of multiple home games until you get to the end. They have three home games in four, in four weeks, 14, 15, 16, 17, but again, tough matchups. Baltimore at home, Sandy, uh, the Chargers at home at Seattle in week 16 on Sunday night football. So that's your Sunday night game, that fantasy championship week. So how do you know what, what's Mahomes going to give you up in Seattle against the Seattle defense? We know I talked about the 12th man not being the biggest advantage, but still you're going on the road, tough spot. That could hurt you from Mahomes. Who knows if we're going to get the same thing we got at a Kareem Hunt. Will he last and make it through and produce when it when it counts? So it's a, it's a tough schedule here. And, and you open up with at at the Chargers, at the Steelers, like you said, home Niners, at Broncos, home Jacksville, at the Patriots. That's six extremely tough games. And then throwing the Bengals in week seven. Could you see seven weeks of Chiefs being two and five with a rookie quarterback? It wouldn't surprise me. Would it surprise
0: you? Not at all. And now let's talk about the easiest schedules. So these are your fantasy-friendly schedules. We'll go in reverse order. The fifth best schedule is the Raiders. They have an opener against the Rams, but if you don't look past that first game, you're doing a disservice because they and the Raiders in September get the Broncos, Dolphins, and Browns. That is not a bad slate. Week nine onward, according to Warren Sharp, they have the fifth toughest schedule of defenses, but overall, that's a pretty nice schedule. The other one, number four, the fourth easiest schedule, he says, are the Jaguars. They had the easiest schedule last year and Leonard Fournette ate it up. This year around week nine is when it goes awry. They have a pretty decent schedule. They say he says the 12th hardest featuring both teams that were in the Super Bowl last year, the Eagles and the Patriots. But after their bye week, they have the second softest schedule with four bottom 10 teams and just one top 10 teams overall their offense is projected to face the easiest schedule in 2018 so it seems to me partner that Leonard Fournette may may be a lot safer than we're giving him credit for
1: yeah I mean I I like Fournette I think Fournette's going to be good but you look at Oakland they get that opener against the Rams and that traditional West Coast Monday night opener that 10 20 game, which will be a tough game out of the bat. Probably a nice shootout there, I would expect to see between Oakland and the Rams. But then you get games where you might want to start to try and take advantage of your situation. At the Denver Broncos, they're not the same. The defense will still be good, but this is a very winnable game. Then you go at Miami, which is a game you can win. Then you get, and we know, we talked about in the past couple of years how good Oakland had been, you know, if beating that uh, you know, West Coast, East Coast bias. Coming on the East Coast and winning these games, it didn't matter if it was 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I think there was something two years ago, 5-0 and on the East Coast. Kind of did something similar last year in those games. So you go at Miami's a winnable game. Home Browns, you got to win. Charges will be tough. And then the Seahawks at home. So you look at that early slate, first six games, situation where you want to get 4-2 and two if you're Oakland, get to your bye week, and then you get the Colts and so forth. And you do have a tougher tougher road towards the end of the season at Baltimore, home Chiefs, home Steelers at the Bengals, home Broncos, at Chiefs. So you want to take advantage of those early, early games, kind of get yourself 4-2, and 5-2 and two out of the gate after seven weeks, and put yourself in a position to make some noise down the stretch. As far as Jacksonville, I like Leonard Fournette a lot, so I think an easy schedule means good things for them. And, you know, just got done talking about the Giants not having three game home games in a row. Well, after they play the Giants in MetLife Stadium, Jacksonville then gets home Patriots, home Titans, home Jets. So three straight home games for them after their opener, and then they go on the road. So this is very, very good if you're a Jaguar fan. I mean, Patriots will be tough, of course, but the Titan defense, not exactly the greatest defense out there. We know the Jet defense could be if the young players produce, but that's a home game against the Jets, a team you should be able to beat, at Chiefs, defense suspect at Cowboys. So it's a nice early schedule for Blake Bortles, the uh, you know king of garbage time, you know, turnover-prone Mr. Bortles, and then you get to that second, week, second half after the bye week, where the schedule starts to rotate at the Colts against the Steelers in a nice anticipated rematch from that uh, you know big one they had in the playoffs and they busted them up also in the regular season. So they'll go back to – uh, they'll get put them at home this year, not in Pittsburgh. So that will be fun on the Sunday night at Bills and you get the Colts again. So getting the Colts two times in four games will help. And the schedule the last four weeks, it's not brutal. At Tennessee, home Washington, at the Dolphins, and then we know the week 17 doesn't matter at the Texans. So being fourth on this list – it's a great spot. Leonard Fournette's probably looking at his chops. Maybe Blake Bortles doesn't throw as many interceptions as he did last year.
0: I'll do three and two, and then we'll save number one because it ties directly into your article. The third easiest schedule are the Chargers. The deal with the Chargers is – it, they only play two top 10 opponents, the Rams and the Steelers. Both are on the road, though. Let's be careful. But they don't have a tremendous amount of top teams. They're playing average, mediocre teams. Now, again, we've talked about them having trouble at home. Right, Scott? Is home really home field advantage for them? But they do play their four tough opponents in the first seven weeks all at home. Home Chiefs, home Niners, home Titans, home Raiders. That Raider game is going to have a ton of Raider fans there. So... The back half of their slate have some more difficult road games and decent run defenses. What Warren Sharp writes, which I think is very important, and maybe this plays into Melvin Gordon being who Melvin Gordon is, it seems like they always ran on first down, that they were very, very predictable. If they threw a little bit and they mixed it up, maybe that would open some up for Gordon. The Chargers there have no great teams, but no terrible teams, so they're sort of in the middle. And of course, number two, you can talk about them also, are the Patriots. The Patriots have lived year after year on being in a terrible division. They're going to play the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills every year for six games, and that's going to make their schedule very, very easy. They do have some decent road games. They have the Jaguars week two, Steelers week 15. Both games are on the road. They play a lot of terrible opponents but they do get tough games. The difference is, partner, they are at home. They have Packers at home, Vikings at home, Texans at home, and Chiefs are at home. So talk to me about the Chargers who have no home field advantage, but look like they have a pretty decent schedule, and the Patriots who year after year are going to have a decent schedule because they get the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins six times. Yeah, when you look at the
1: Chargers schedule, I mean, let's not discount division games because we know no matter how good or bad the team is, division games are always tough to win. You get play them twice. So the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chiefs, so forth. But outside of that, when you look at the schedule, I mean, the most difficult game got to be at Pittsburgh, right, in December? I mean, West Coast team going there, and they have a good history in Pittsburgh. They were there as recently as four years ago and put up about 40 points in Pittsburgh. So that would probably be the most toughest one, maybe at Seattle after that. So it's the schedule outside of the division, which is always tough, is Bills, you know, 49ers in, in an interconference game. You get the Titans. You get the Browns. So – very, very winnable schedule for the Chargers. Maybe this is the year they put it all together and you know don't have to hustle to try and get a final playoff spot. Maybe they can go out and actually put it together and you know win the division, get Philip Rivers in there, and give him a chance to make some noise in the postseason. So it's very, the schedule is very uh, playable and winnable for them. And you go to the Patriots side here, like you said, they're tough opponents. All right, are, are at home. I mean, you know, yeah, they got to go to Jacksonville, which will be a tough game on the road, but. Packers at home, like you said. Vikings at home. They do have to go to Pittsburgh again. I feel like every year we get that game, and that's in Pittsburgh. And that this one's put right, right when it matters, back in Week 15, kind of like last year. So there'll be a lot of drama there. And then you close with the Bills, Jets. You know, Packers at home, like I said, is, is, is a good one. And then you get three straight home games in the middle. You know, Week four to Week six. Dolphins winnable. They Dolphins give New England trouble, but in Miami, usually New England's a different story. Then you get the Colts, and then you get the Chiefs. So. Patriots schedule will be at number two, an aging Tom Brady, a running back by committee, wide receivers. You know, we don't know who's going to produce with Edelman being suspended for four games, and you got a bunch of other names there. So this is a very, very winnable schedule for New England once again, and they will prove again to be very difficult to dethrone in the AFC West. AFC East.
0: And that moves us into quarter number four, where Scott is going to talk, wrote a great article. He does a a fantasy spotlight for Last Word on Pro Football. I look forward to him every time you put him out, partner. And talk to us about Deshaun Watson because Warren Sharp has the Houston Texans as the easiest schedule. Now listen, Andrew Luck may return and they face New England in week one. But then they get the Bills, and then the Jaguars, and then the Jets. But then from weeks 3 to 15, he says it is winnable to Cupcake City. Those were his quotes that he used. Giants, Colts twice, Cowboys, Bills, Dolphins, Broncos, Redskins, Browns, and Jets. If Deshaun Watson can stay healthy, you can talk more about him. And, you know, Lamar Miller can give them something. You know what DeAndre Hopkins is. With that schedule, man, this could be an explosive fantasy offense. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's got it's got a chance to be. You know, we had talked about the Watson and Wentz debate in the last episode. It kind of got me thinking, so I decided to put out a piece on Watson. Most likely the next one will be on Wentz. But when you look at the schedule here, it, it is. It's tough early with the Patriots. At New England's always going to be tough, and at the Titans will be a tough division game. But when you break it down in the middle like you did, these are winnable games, Browns, Colts. Twice, Redskins, yeah, Andrew Luck being back may change that, but still Texan defense over the Colt defense any day of the week and Andrew Luck coming off a year and a half and not playing could benefit the Houston Texans. But, you know, when I, when I wrote this piece about, about Watson, it was really kind of the – kind of really put in light what kind of historic season he really did have, and it was only seven games, but the kind of the numbers that he put up and the expectations now that people have, I mean, when you look at him right now, he's coming off a torn ACL that he suffered in practice November 2nd last year after that – Memorable game getting Seattle going up and down the field with Russell Wilson. At the time of the article, he's the fourth overall quarterback being taken. And this is a guy who's played seven games, coming off a torn ACL. He's being drafted behind only Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Tom Brady. So the expectations, they're there. People saw, saw what they did for that short term, and they bought in, and they're buying in. And there are some leagues where he's even going ahead of Brady, and he's going ahead of Wilson, which is a little much right now, but we know he's got talent. But when you really look into that rookie season, seven games he played, he had 25.0 fantasy points per game, eighth best by any quarterback all time at 25 percent, 25 points per game in only seven games. And he that first game, he only played the first half of the game, a uh, second half of the game, he didn't even start the game. And then his efficiency, we've talked about, was so off the charts. You know, player profile, great, great playerprofile.com, great site. They break things down, they, these metrics, and efficiency. He had 5.3 air yards per attempt, which was number one in the league during his time on the field. And also number one against amongst quarterbacks was his 70.6 production premium, his 81.8 total quarterback ranking, and his 0.6, .67 fantasy points per dropback were number one. And in fact, the dropback numbers were so good, they were 24.6% better than the next best quarterback. So his numbers were just off the charts. His rookie season passer rating Second best all time by any quarterback with at least – any rookie quarterback with at least 200 passes. Second best all time. He was able to run around the field. He had his uh, rushing fantasy points per drop back were only second behind Cam Newton. I mean, obviously with the torn ACL, you look at that, they're probably going to bring him back a little bit. Not you know, He's not going to be – shut down from a running standpoint because that's part of, you know, a big weapon of his obviously, but they'll bring it back a little bit. He's young. You don't want to take another chance and have another dangerous injury happen. So his numbers were just off the charts and people have bought in. And then what he did was he elevated DeAndre Hopkins, if he could even be elevated anymore. And he brought Will Fuller to the table. He introduced Will Fuller to the fantasy world because we know Hopkins can catch the ball if I'm throwing it, if you're throwing it, it does not matter. He's going to go up. We saw that when he was catching balls from Tom Savage. But Will Fuller, in the seven games that he played, averaged 21 fantasy points per game, second to only DeAndre Hopkins, 21.1. So Watson really made his two wide receivers, you know, elevated them. He put Hopkins in that conversation to be a one or two. You know, we know Antonio Brown and so forth, but put Hopkins right there last year who was consistent week in and week out and brought Fuller to the table. Numbers went down a little bit for Fuller once Watson was out. Hopkins was able to keep keep going and keep level. Watson averaged a touchdown pass once every 9.3% of his attempts, which is – we put that out in the last episode that we had, and that was second all-time of any quarterback with 200 pass attempts since the merger, since the NFL merger. So again, the efficiency, top-notch, and now it's really what what can we expect? I mean, we saw seven games. You really want to see help. You want to see some help in the backfield, like you talked about. You want to see Lamar Miller be able to establish himself as a legitimate threat, not a guy that's going to get 15 carries and 55 yards and hope to punch in a touchdown late or something like that. You need him to be able to produce and give defenses a scare in that, listen, if we don't, you know, we keep Watson contained, now Miller's going to break one off, so we have to really account for both aspects of this offense if it's just the passing offense that they're worried about and Watson running the ball it's going to take away from what Watson can do so Miller needs to be able to step up find the hole make some plays and give the defense something to worry about and if he can't do that then Foreman needs to when he gets healthy but one of them need to neither one of them had a 100 yard rushing game in 2017 so that doesn't help the cause but you got to see something moving forward from them you need to see them be able to open it up so Watson could build off what he did You're not going to see the efficiency you saw last year. Listen, it's his second year in the league. Team's seen the video. They've seen what he did in seven games. But you're going to see a quarterback that can produce. And if healthy, rightfully so. He's pegged in that top five. He probably will finish in that top five if healthy. I got him right around where Fantasy Pros has him at quarterback four. It makes total sense. As long as he stays healthy and his wide receivers are healthy, this is a situation where he can thrive in the passing game, open things up with his legs, and hopefully lead to some success with his running back yeah
0: I, well said i i think your article is really making me think because you know i always complain i get a back half of round one pick here's my issue 50 percent of those top running backs are going to bust they always do so we play in a lot of different leagues one of our favorite leagues that we play in is a three wide receiver non-ppr league okay so you have to start three wide receivers no way around it i'm sitting here looking While everyone's going to go running back heavy and they're going to jump over all the three – they're going to jump on the backs who they perceive to be three down backs like Kareem Hunt and Saquon Barkley, I could easily come away regardless of where I pick with some combination of Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, Doug Baldwin, um, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, um, Adam Thielen, right? And then I'm then looking at running backs who are good but not great. So why couldn't I scoop up Lamar Miller? I understand I can get him in round five and Donta Foreman in round 10. If you really want to get Alfred Blue, have a lot of fun. What I'm saying is, I no, you go running back early, you're not taking Lamar Miller in round five. So as long as my wide receivers produce, And I get reasonable production from Lamar Miller and I handcuff him with Donta Foreman and then I grab my Rex Burkhead, James White, or I grab my slew of Colts running backs. And Scott, maybe by that time, the lead Colt running back has established himself. Why not go that direction? Or why not grab a Packer running back? Because Houston has a decent schedule. Watson is electric. You know he opens the running lanes, like you said. I'm not saying Lamar Miller is great. I'm not saying that. But you can't... What is the cardinal rule of fantasy? You cannot bust on your early pick. You can't do it. Every year, if you do the stats, 80% of your points are coming from those first three picks. Wide receivers are safe. They're a lot safer more safer than running backs. So I think if I come away with Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, and Mike Evans, even though I don't like Mike Evans, I think that's pretty safe upside. And then all I got to do, Scott, is hit on one of my late round running backs and I can piece together the other back. Yeah. I
1: mean, if you nail the Patriot situation down and you get Burkhead and he's the guy, then this is a great strategy. And that's just, like you said, you can't miss on your first three picks. And that that's one of the main reasons why I wait for a quarterback when it comes to these drafts because, to me, the drop-off between a top quarterback and, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth-round quarterback is a lot less than it is that top five, six wide receiver than, you know, the top 24, 25 wide receiver if you go ahead and waste one, not waste, but use one of those top picks on a quarterback. So I'm with you with the top three picks being vital to your success. We know that. I mean, almost like, you know, it's cliche to say or it's an obvious statement, but it is. And... If Lamar Miller, now giving ho- hopefully a full year with Watson, and they go 16 games, if he can take a next step and become a guy who maybe averages 80 yards per game, not 55 or 56, and able to kept, catch some passes and make the threat, Lamar Miller is a, is, a, is a great value buy, and if as long as Watson stays healthy, he can produce. And yes, if you do draft Miller, you got to pair him up with Foreman. not a huge team backfield guy, we know, but in a situation like that, where Miller's also one hit away from being hurt and so forth, that's a situation where you want to pair them up, so you're covered on both ends, and, and, and you can make some noise. You could, Like you said, you can stack up your wide receivers and go ahead and grab yourself some running backs. I mean, I'm still of the inkling that I'm going to get my big-time running back if I can. Now, look, if I'm picking ninth, you know, you know I'm not taking Saquon Barkley, so I'm going to take the better wide receiver available, but if I'm in an earlier situation, top five, Unless Antonio Brown falls to my lap, I'm going to take that running back that's there. You know, the girly, the bell, the DJ, or the Zeke. But after that, things can change. And you talk about how you're always in at 8 to 12 spots. So if you fall in that spot again, it's a perfect situation for you to grab a wide receiver at 8 get another wide receiver on the comeback, and then build it from there.
0: Listen, I'm just telling you, Amari Cooper's going in the fourth round around pick eight right now. You could start with four wide receivers and load up your team, and then come back in round five and get a Lamar Miller, or possibly get a Mark Ingram if you can hold out for four weeks, or Royce Freeman slash on, Johnson are around there. And by the way, Aaron Jones isn't going until round seven. I'm just saying it's a, it's, it's a strategy I'm going to give a lot of thought to because nothing sexy about uh, Chris Thompson in round seven. Nothing sexy about Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery in round nine. No one cares at that point. So you guys can go Gurley, Bell, Elliott, DJ, Kamara, Barkley, Hunt, Gordon, Fournette, Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey. Okay, you can deal with that. And I'll take the safe upside of the wide receivers, but you're right. Every strategy is a plus minus. You have to nail that fifth round running back. And for me, Lamar Miller is a strong look, and so is Rex Burkhead.
1: You say that, and the strategy is good. But you again, you base this on being a late round draft If you if you're picking third, right now, you're gonna.
0: If I'm picking third. If you're go picking
1: ahead. third right now, your options. Let's just say your top five options. Let's say, let's say Gurley goes off, and let's say Bell goes off.
0: Oh, i take zeke okay so oh, uh, i know i would take zeke yeah yeah, i would but if you're I, picking I,
1: fourth and zeke goes do you take brown or dj
0: <laughs> boy i could hear people on the other end of the pod just ripping on me right now uh, that's a tough one i'm not ready to answer it well that's I'm telling I'm you the truth
1: and once you, I, that's, you know, once you go to past five then you know you look at a hopkins a available like, but i
0: could take brown scott i could take brown instead of dj i could do that could. He's but been the number one wide receiver for thirty-five consecutive years. I mean, like I, that's as safe as it comes. No, it is. You could, but there's no guarantees that
1: you know you are going to take the receiver over the running back. So again, it's situational. If you're picking eighth or ninth, we know you're not taking Barkley. You're most likely you're not taking Kamara, and you know you're not a hunt guy. So there you go. You look at the wide receivers: Beckham, Jones, and so forth. So again, the strategy is is good. But it really depends on where you are. And talking about Amari Cooper, his stock goes up a little bit more now, right? Because your favorite, the gift that keeps on giving, is uh, in a situation where he may not be playing, right? Martavis Bryant, some rumors out there he may not be around this season. So Amari Cooper's stock may shoot up.
0: You're picking top four, top five. I'm looking at the uh, on fantasy football calculator right now, and then we'll wrap it up here. It is very difficult for me to sit there and go, I can get Antonio Brown. And you know the leagues that we're in. Somebody's going to take quarterbacks early. They always do, right? So some of these guys are pushed down. It is very realistic, partner, to take Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, and Mike Evans. That is so reasonable and so doable if a tough one to pass.
1: It is. PPR, Antonio Brown's third overall, so you, you could. I, I see it. You have three wide receivers in the top seven, so you definitely go that route. And then you could stack up and get yourself, even if you got lucky, maybe you get a, you're get running back a Melvin Gordon to get late in the second round and build your wide receivers after that too.
0: Hey, sounds good. Well, there you go, folks. We're, we're wrapping it up here. We're right in the middle. Draft.com, use P-U-T-B as the code. Follow us on on Twitter, P-U-T Blitz. Myself, Randall Rand, Scott at S-C-O-T 557. Send us questions, too, to P-U-T Blitz at gmail.com. We will read them on the show. Fast and Furious, we're coming. Fantasy football season, man. School is ending, which means we're just starting to heat up. Summertime, baby. Summertime.